Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of In Conversation With. This month is Maternal Mental Health Month, and I'm speaking with two mums about their own experiences around maternal mental well-being. I'm speaking with Claire, who is the PR and Marketing Director at Indiverse Company, as well as being a wife and mum to Ella, who was born via IVF and has recently started her second round of IVF this year. I'm also speaking with Kim, who is the Business Development Director at Cherry Duck Productions, wife and mum to Yo-Yo, and diagnosed with OCD. Welcome, Claire and Kim, to today's show. Hi. Hello. Hi. So I'm going to start with our quickfire round. Just tell me which one you have a preference to. So, Kim, sunrise or sunset? Ooh, um, sunset. And Claire? Sunrise. Music or podcasts? Music. <laughs> Music for me too. Yep. Call or text? Text. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say I'd say call. I don't get to do so many of them, but it, it feels more of a luxury than text. And finally, honesty or others' feelings? I think that you can do both. Yeah, so a combination of somewhere two. in between. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Claire? Yeah, so I mean I I think I'd like to say it honestly, but probably I only do that with my close friends and family and and sometimes with other people. So yeah, a bit of a mix. Ideally you'd go for a combination of the two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. So I'd like to just start off by asking, how are you both? How would you score your mental well-being on a scale of 1 to 10 today? I I would score myself 6 or 7. I was going to say 8 because things have been all right, but um, 6 or 7 because I'm absolutely exhausted and feel, you know, I mean as we're all in lockdown feeling a, a little bit cabin fever at the moment which has its triggers in my own mind so yeah let's let's say six six or seven and claire how are you doing today i was actually gonna say seven as well i'm you i usually i'm probably higher um i'm quite a positive person lockdown probably been a bit different for me because my husband's a, a gp and he's been working quite a lot but this weekend we've all been a bit unwell really um and not really sure what why that is so i'm saying a seven when you say that your husband's a gp has he had to isolate himself away from you guys or have you been coping with the lockdown yeah no he did he's been working in a covid center so he stayed away he got tested for covid and and came home but he's he'd been back home and and got, then got really unwell this weekend. So I, I don't know, maybe it is that or maybe it's something else. But we both had a test this morning. But yeah, we've all been feeling a bit under the weather. And Ella as well. So yeah, that's not been good this weekend. If you don't mind me asking, how long do you have to wait for the test results? Uh, yes, yeah, so I think we'll find out within 48 hours. So we should find out um, by Tuesday. Honestly, how are you feeling about that? Are you nervous? Are you apprehensive? Are you anxious? Yeah, at, at least at times I'm fine, but then I'm suddenly just 
really <laughs> worrying and panicking, particularly about my husband as well. Like he never really gets sick and I've not managed yet to get him to take time off work. So um, the fact that he's, you know, going to be off tomorrow and, and things like that, um, it can be a bit worrying at times. But then it, I think it's hard with a toddler as well. You just kind of sometimes don't have a chance to think about things or, you, or you're concentrating on them. But then when you get a moment to stop and think, kind of panic can set in <laughs> at times. <laughs> Well, obviously, our thoughts and prayers are with you guys both. Obviously, I work very closely with you, and it's really kind of anxious news. So, yeah, fingers crossed that the test comes back negative, and it is really worrying. And thank you for finding the time to kind of speak with me this evening with all of that going on in the background. My next question would be, for both of you, do you make a daily habit of noting how you're feeling how your mental well-being is or is this a new question for you I do I try and step back especially if I'm feeling a heightened emotion about something I try and work out the process sort of backwards as to why and sometimes it isn't always so obvious what the triggers are um Mm -hmm. but because of the therapy I went through I'm quite good at unpacking it if that makes sense Mm -hmm. So I can feel mm-hmm. I can feel stressed or angry, and rather than getting absorbed in that feeling, I try and look back and think of why. You know, what was it? Something earlier in the day or earlier in the week that's made me feel that way. Mm. And Claire, how about you? Do you do you have a daily check in, or is I this? Think, a new yeah, year? I mean, I, yeah, I don't, I don't take a dose of it, but I think yeah, I am, I am pretty aware of how I'm how I'm feeling although sometimes it's not until the end of the day you know that you sometimes get a chance to think about it and then think oh yeah that's suddenly that's why I reacted this way or, or something like that but yeah I don't get up and think oh I'm feeling like this but I'm definitely aware of it and I kind of touched on this Claire with you in our introduction but how are you both currently currently coping with the lockdown Kim you're working full-time you're trying to keep your production company going as a wife and mother how are you right now um so I'm actually well I normally do four days a week and I have the Fridays off pre-lockdown but obviously at the moment it's kind of capturing moments of time and you can work my husband and I have been without having a specific schedule per se we've been quite good at tag teaming it it does help that we work together (laughs) so um we kind of know the we sort of measuring up the importance of each of our tasks to do for the company and it's all for one company rather than having to have that battle over whose job is more important and then it's just very very full-on having a three-year-old basically and there are joyous moments and then there are really just exhausting moments when she asks you the same thing over and over and over and screams at you. <laughs> and in terms of yourself, how are you feeling? So you've you've spoken about what it's like to be a wife and a mother and in a in a business, but you yourself in lockdown, something that we've never experienced before. How are you? I've been okay, t- quite timely really, but I ended up upping because I'm on anti-anxiety anti-depressant medication and Mm -hmm. because previous to lockdown there were other stressful things going on 
in our lives, I actually made the decision to increase that. And so Mm -hmm. therefore, I think it's just helped keep me just mentally afloat during this time because I've noticed Mm -hmm. that I've not had as extreme reactions to certain things that I probably would have were it not for the amount of medication that I'm on. Mm-hmm. I've not gone totally numb, but I definitely feel okay about things generally. And, but can I just ask, you, in terms of you upping your dosage, was that done with your doctor or was that a decision that you took yourself? So it was something I'd identified as probably the right thing to do for myself. Mm-hmm. So I asked, um, asked for my prescription to be increased. Cool. Thank you for that. And thank you for being so honest. And Claire, how are you in general coping with lockdown? Obviously, you said that your husband's a GP and he made the decision to self-isolate a few weeks ago, which meant not only are you working for a new startup in a senior leadership position, but it meant that you're also caring for your daughter alone. How are you? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it, it hasn't felt that much different. I mean, I haven't been, I haven't had as much childcare, but we have managed to get Ella um, eventually into a nursery that's, you know, open for the key workers. So I have got some time to work, but it's not as much as I usually would have. Like I usually have a nanny as well. So that's been difficult just trying to find the time to fit in work. But I feel like yeah, it, I mean, it, ha- it hasn't been that different, but probably, you know, in the same way as I talked about before then. And as you say, Kim, it's really full on having a toddler. Um, although it's lovely, it, 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 it can be challenging at times as well. And I think sometimes you're just so busy care- thinking and caring about them. And, but then suddenly you'll just have a moment and then you're, re- you're thinking about what's going on around us and how, it, how it's not normal. Um, and that can be quite hard. Yeah, indeed. And I think that any mother, I mean, as I, as I said before we start recording, I've got two 19-year-olds and it's difficult, but I know it's not the same as if they were still toddlers. And particularly just we're in an environment where none of us are used to this. None of us know what the outcome's going to be. It's a time for heightens anxiety and just generally kind of walking into the unknown so I hope that you both know that you're doing incredibly well and you're doing brilliantly even if you don't feel like you always are you are doing the best that you can and that's that's what's kind of crucial to both of your daughters Kim could you share your journey with OCD and becoming pregnant with yo-yo and how OCD changed after her birth? Yeah, so I, looking back, I think my OCD symptoms started my late teens, early 20s, sort of 19 Mm -hmm. years plus. And Mm -hmm. it consisted of intrusive thoughts. I became very fearful that I had the capabilities of abusing people. It was often targeted at children. So it was really quite frightening thoughts. And it went in waves through my 20s, moments Mm -hmm. of which I sought therapy, but it was never really the right kind of therapy. And then cut to 10, actually probably about 12 13 years after those first symptoms I had my daughter and even though I knew that it could be a massive trigger I had no idea quite how bad it would get so it was 
a big big trigger for things just getting really bad so the intrusive thoughts ended up being directed at her when she was about three months well, I, I had a trigger I think I was looking at something I read an article that had a horrible sort of story in it and then it all twisted around in my head which is what OCD is very very good at and then I felt as though it could potentially be something that I could do to her and so mm-hmm. I knew that I was sick and it was basically a few days where it all got really bad to the point where I walked myself up to the hospital and basically said I need help I ended up staying overnight and then my husband came home um, to stay with Johanna for a week then from there I sort of sought the right kind of therapy and had 10 weeks of once a week it's called exposure therapy so it's a it's mm-hmm. a form of CBT um mm-hmm. or exposure response therapy is what it's called so it basically teaches you to let the um obsessions which are the the intrusive thoughts come and then not act like out the compulsions the compulsions mm-hmm. being I would try and avoid her I would move my hands away from her because I was worried I would do things I would argue with myself in my head so yeah it kind of trained you to stop doing that it's not straightforward it's not easy but I had an incredible therapist and I can honestly say that I feel like a different person completely it sounds like it was a really difficult time for you did you feel at that time that you were alone and no one would understand or did you feel like there was a really strong support network and you could be really open and honest about how you were feeling so I think for the majority you know basically a decade of my experience with OCD before my daughter was born I felt very alone because it was a time when people weren't open you know when I was first going through it I remember looking online and everyone that talked about it everyone was anonymous no one was willing to kind of open up properly about it whereas now there is an amazing community and I feel actually really privileged to be a part of it because I've since done various bits of sort of charity work and and talking about this so yeah it's much people have a much better understanding I still know a lot of women who reach out to me who feel absolutely terrified and extremely alone because the thoughts are so taboo that they would, they're frightened to even admit that anything's wrong, um, which is heartbreaking, really, because they're not alone. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's much, much better, but I think that there's so much that, that needs to be done for people to not feel alone. As you said, it's things have progressed definitely in the last 10 years around mental well-being and, and being encouraged to be open and honest and connect with people that are having similar thoughts, whatever you may be going through. But I can understand that people taking that first step takes a lot of courage and bravery and people almost feeling that they're going to be judged. I think as, and we'll touch on this later on, but I feel like as a mother, you feel that you have to be perfect. And if you're not in your eyes or someone else's eyes, then that's really bad when we're all trying to just figure out what works best for us. Claire, could I ask you to share your IV, your experience of IVF? You're currently in the middle of your second round when um, lockdown was announced. So how's the whole experience been for you? I mean, before I had Ella, it it took us um, like four rounds until we were successful. So I mean, it is is really hard, like physically and emotionally. um, But I think 
I kind of felt that once I had Ella, or I wasn't really thinking about that so much. I, I think once you well, for me, right, once I became a mom, then you were just thinking about all of this normal mom stuff, and, and nobody's really categorizing you as to how, you know, how how she got here. Probably lots of people that I know now wouldn't have even known that I had IVF. But then when we came to try and have another baby, all of those kind of initial feelings that I used to have came back. So things, you know, like when you hear your friends are pregnant and things like that, it's not you obviously feel happy for them, but it's like there's just this kind of feeling in your stomach. You're like, oh, why can't it be me? And, and then particularly for me as well, it was when you can, because I, I think people don't really think about how men um, find IVF, but, it, you know, it definitely has an impact on them as well. And, and for me, like when I knew that my husband was kind of feeling down and stuff like that, then um, then that was really hard. But but yes, when we started trying again, I think, I don't know whether your hormones change. Um, I mean, you definitely are more emotional, I suppose, after you've had a baby. But I, I think I found like the impact of the drugs and things much, much harder this time. And, and I suppose, you know, before the whole lockdown and things happened, I was really quite lucky that we managed to have the embryo. I think we were one of the last, people that had the embryo transfer I mean the whole experience was different because when I've had IVF previously it, it felt like we were doing it together like as I say my husband's been working a lot so I was doing a lot of it myself a lot of the appointments and then when it came to the actual embryo transfer I was on my own um, so that was quite difficult but I think one of the things that I learned last time was you know you can't control it so just plan as much as you can so I've planned time off work I've planned extra days for Ella to be in nursery but this was all in the build-up to talking about lockdown happening and nurseries closing and things like that so I think I was just constantly worried each day like oh is the nursery going to close today and if it did obviously family and things were in isolation as well so I, I didn't have anyone that could look after Ella so I, was, I had that that I was worrying about and then after you've had the embryo transfer there's this thing whether you know it's two weeks until you can do the pregnancy test they call it two week wait and you've got to try and rest and relax so I, that's why I thought I'll book the holidays from work and things like that but then you know, the nursery closed then, so I was, t- yeah, I wasn't supposed to be lifting and things like that. But it's just impossible with a toddler around, and and although these things, I suppose, don't affect it in the long run, you're, you know, I think you just don't want to be doing things that that you think, you know, if it's not if it's not successful, will I blame that? Will I blame? So I found it definitely more kind of mentally challenging this time around. Do you think that it was? a combination of a, no- a, a number of things that made it feel more stressful this time. So the fact that you had Ella, who's a toddler, the fact that you were working part-time, the fact that we were going into a global pandemic, or do you think that for whatever reason, it just felt different? Yeah, I mean, I think I think definitely I, I would have felt without, you know, the coronavirus thing I would have found it difficult just with having Ella because first time around when you know when I didn't have another child 
it's the only thing that you're thinking about that you know making sure that you're taking medications at the right time googling everything making sure you're eating the right diet this kind of thing whereas when I'm looking after Ella at the same time there were a few times where I definitely took medication at the wrong time but you know let alone whether I, I could even remember whether I'd taken it or not I mean I think in some ways having idea prepares you a bit for this kind of thing because it is all about the unknown and uncertainty and not no matter how much you try and plan things you, you know you can't affect the outcome so I think although it should kind of help you it you know it was it's still was difficult having everything that's going on but as I say you know at least I was able to have the embryo transfer because so many people had cycles cancelled and I, and I think if I'd have taken all of those drugs and then it was cancelled although it's nobody's fault I, I don't think I would have been very happy <laughs> Thank you for being, both of you, for being so open and honest about your journeys. Do either of you feel the pressure to be this perfect mum, or do you feel that you're in control? Um, I just wanted to actually just highlight something that Claire mentioned as well, this sort of sense of uncertainty and unknown, because Mm -hmm. with exposure therapy and OCD, it's very much that too. It's coming to terms with the fact that you have to accept uncertainty, and that's kind of what frees you in a way mm-hmm. because so much of OCD is about controlling things and when you talk about perfectionism there's a lot of OCD sufferers that very much suffer from a sense of everything have to be having to be perfect otherwise the world will fall apart I think for me I actually embrace perhaps all the sort of unperfect things I would never have I don't know I'm not having to outwardly worry I don't worry too much about what people think of me but I mean, I say this, but, you know, probably do worry about what people think of me. But when it comes to being a mother, I think my biggest, biggest thing was to just get better. So I was so focused on getting better that everything else in many respects, I often prayed for normal mum worries because Mm -hmm. this is what I was going through with the intrusive thoughts were just so awful and so horrific that I was just like oh just give me some normal mum worries not to say that they are um easy or you know what normal is and one other thing when it comes to worrying about being perfect or being a perfect mum there was one sort of moment in my sort of newborn journey where a month in I made the decision to stop breastfeeding and even though it was absolutely the right decision for me at the time, I felt so guilty and I just felt so, so awful about it that I remember a couple of weeks after trying to bring my milk back. So I was very Mm -hmm. focused on as if I'd made a huge mistake and I had to try and, um, you know, rectify it. Yeah. And it was just awful. And that itself, I dragged myself just through such an awful time with it that I know as well, it made me even more vulnerable when the OCD trigger really got me. So I think you've just, we've all just got to try and be kind to ourselves. And a big part of my journey to recovery was just really like unconditionally loving myself. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we're all, you know, particularly as women grown up to believe that that's self-absorbed or a sense of arrogance, but it's not at all. It's like being able to look in the mirror and say, I love you, you're doing great, and not criticise, basically. 100%. And I had twins, and I remember 
when I was pregnant, I thought, like, right, everyone's telling you breast is best, you've got to breastfeed, you've got to do this, it's the best thing for them. And I managed three weeks mm-hmm. of like fully breastfeeding. And I said to my mum, I just, I, I can't, like, they're feeding all the time, like, because it's little and often, isn't it, at the beginning? Mm-hmm. So imagine two. And I was just like, I, I, I can't even. I can't even go to the bathroom without a baby crying. Like, I can't do this. And she said, you know what? The first, like, couple of days is when the really good stuff kicks in mm-hmm. and you're producing that and you were, you were bottle-fed. It's not the end of the world if you can't do this. And at the time, my mum had taken off, um, like, a month's holiday to be with me. Obviously, paternity and maternity, grandparent leave was very different almost 20 years ago and she said you need to think about how you're going to be able to do everything you need to do when I go because obviously I was a single mum and I remember feeling like oh my god everyone's going to think like I'm a failure if they know I'm not breastfeeding and to be honest I never had that I never had anyone around me whether it's at the baby groups whether it's friends or family be like oh so you're not breastfeeding they were just amazed I managed to do three weeks and in that I just felt like I am doing my best and it's also it's not about what other people think it's what is best for me and my kids but I feel like it takes a lot for you to feel empowered to be able to think and feel like that does that make sense 100% especially if it's your first you know you just first two <laughs> yeah do at once. once exactly <laughs> oh my gosh Claire the same question to you do you feel the pressure to be a perfect mum and put additional pressures on yourself and do you feel that you're in control yeah I mean I, I was going to agree actually like not I mean not in terms of being the perfect mum I, I think it's hard sometimes just just to get through the day but I think just getting your head around the fact that you you know best for your child um, and I think particularly as you say like for your first baby everyone's got their opinions and I couldn't believe actually how much people just want to tell you what you should be doing, whether it's your family or, or your friends or, or people that you really don't think w- would step in. And, and I don't know whether it's the hormones or, or the fact that it's your first baby, but yeah, I mean, it, it probably took me definitely till 18 months and probably even now I'm still not always 100% convinced that I'm doing the right thing, but you know, I think that would that would probably be the one thing that I would learn, you know, if I had another baby would would be that that you know best and you know whatever the midwife or your or the grandparents or whatever tell you, then it's your baby at the end of the day. It, it's it's a fine line of being able to just smile through all of the endless bombardment of, of advice and tips. To I'm just going to do it my way. Do even you feel that you were mentally prepared for the emotional challenges that you've experienced? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, thought, I think I thought I was because my OCD had been in waves. You know, it was almost not a shock that it happened, but the intensity of the way that it happened was more than I could have ever imagined. And I wasn't prepared because I'd done CBT on the NHS throughout my pregnancy and mm-hmm. it just wasn't the right cut. It just still, there's such a, there's a big gap really in the kind of treatment and understanding of OCD. 
um, mm-hmm. even in, within the NHS um, and with midwives as well. And Claire, with you, did you feel that you were mentally prepared for the emotional challenges that you've experienced? No, <laughs> I think, yeah, I think there's a few different things. I mean, I think going through IVF the first time up until, um, you know, having a successful pregnancy, I suppose it, it was challenging. But then I think you just thought automatically once you get a positive test and, and then you get to a certain number of weeks or whatever, then, then it will be fine. But it wasn't. It felt like, I mean, I, I think probably the worst time was having the first 12-week scan. Um, I think I'd like worked myself up so much before that that I was just sure that it, it was going to be bad at the scan. But, you know, then everything was was fine and that was a relief. But you, you were just... And I, and I know probably every pregnancy is a bit like that, but it just felt like you could never really be happy or, or comfortable at, at each stage and uh, well until you're in hospital having having the baby I guess so there's so there's that plus I think yeah ha- having um after having Ella I definitely wasn't prepared for kind of how that changes you I, and I felt like all in the build that everyone's telling you like what you need you know like the nappies and the cost and, and things like that um but then nobody really prepares you for kind of what's going to happen I always just thought well I read lots of books about how babies sleep and things like that so I thought yeah I was definitely prepared and I thought you know I was always told that I was a good baby so I always used to think well you know I'm definitely going to have an angel baby I think one of the books I think it's called Baby Whispers only up until about two weeks ago Ella had never slept through the night so (laughs) reading those books did nothing but then yeah as you say as well then the next kind of challenge was starting IVF again because I think I thought well first of all I was so busy with a toddler but then I've been through it all before and you kind of feel like you know what to expect and you know what the challenges are going to be but but for Mm -hmm. some reason it it felt much more difficult um, this time around. And Kim do you feel that your OCD affected your relationships with Yo-Yo and your husband at all? Yes, inevitably. Um, I was very worried at the time, um, as I think mums that that go through um, various different sorts of mental health struggles feel that they're passing things on, negative vibes and things to their children, which is not true. I think that it's made my relationship with my husband stronger and we both have an understanding of each other's uh, mental health struggles and we're very open about things. So I would say that has been a real positive. And yeah, I think it's always going to be part of mine and Johanna's story. Um, I was thinking the other day actually about this idea that when she does get older and how I tell her about it but I hope that it's not almost like a moment where I sit her down and talk to her but that actually throughout her life mental health conversations are just a natural thing a natural normal thing and so it will just be something that she does know about the specifics of which will just be as and when it's appropriate for her age. I don't know what is the right question to ask but Mm -hmm. I'm feeling like the question is, why do you feel that you need to explain to her what happened when she was younger? Hmm. Yeah, um, I want her to understand what OCD really is and 
the fact that I it's always I'm always going to have it you can recover but it will always be part of you it would be the same if if I had depression or um, I was struggling with other mental health illnesses I want her to understand the ins and outs of what it means but again, I think she's going to grow up in a society where she will be much more surrounded by openness when it comes to that. And then, yeah, when it, I don't know, it's part of her story as well in many respects. Mm. So mm. it'll be, I'd never, ever want it to be something that is shied away from because that in itself is reinforcing the, the negativity around OCD mm. in itself. And part of the things that I always speak about, especially with women who are going through what I went through, that the moment you start yourself surrounding it in shame, like it makes it so much worse and we've just got to normalise it. So it's not so much like it's this heavy burden of a secret or tell to tell, but just that this is part of you and there'll be different levels or different experiences through the rest of your journey, but for you and the relationship you want with her it's open and honesty and normalization of positive mental well-being and and not having a stigma or a secret yeah absolutely I mean I think the reality is I've been very open about my story so it really is you know I think as with all these things we don't know quite in 15 years what our children will see about themselves and us on the internet right because it's all out there so my story is out there and that's really important to me because people need to hear this story because it's not heard enough. And yeah. I think that, again, how she finds out, I don't know. I'm not sure how it's all going to pan out, but it'll be interesting, that's for sure. <laughs> and Claire, we're currently living in unprecedented times and everyone is experiencing their own level of anxiety. Do you feel that you're having anxieties that are similar to others around you which can easily be identified with and then there's a separate set around conceiving and your IVF treatment yeah I mean I guess everyone is experiencing this in different ways everyone's got their own anxieties whether it's about work or whether it's about people being sick but I think yeah definitely um it was difficult as I was going through IVF just this last time and, and, and that two week wait once you've had your embryo transfer you wait two weeks to have the, the test and I think actually that's one of the good things about social media I think now there are big communities online um, so you can find other people that are going through similar things to you but I think for me I'd never done this before but this time I did the test early like it was way too early and I got a negative result. I don't know why I did it. I've seen lots of people doing it before, and I just, I don't know, it must have been too much stress this time. So that made me feel definitely worse. But then it came to the test day, um, and I got a positive result. So that was really good. And um, and actually, when <laughs> when you have an IVF, you, get, you can go obsessed with these things. So I, I knew that the line on the test was a little bit light. But anyway, I went to bed at least relieved that I was pregnant, but then woke up the next day, did another test and just expected to see that the line would be darker. But this time it was lighter again. Um, and, and it kind of, it, it went from there. So it's not even that, you know, you've, you have going through this anxiety, but then you take 
the test and you know either way because then it was a bit of a grey area so then I had to go to the clinic and take blood tests for a few days and also it wasn't increasing, it wasn't decreasing either so you were just, you're just kind of in this limbo for a while and then unfortunately you know the pregnancy didn't progress but I think and then you know the clinic's closed so that's another thing you don't know when that's going to start up again um and and i suppose then any kind of life decisions that you're making are kind of on hold you know i'm thinking about things like when nursery's open again will will i put ella in for a few more days and then and be able to go back to work full time and things like that but you just feel like you can't make those decisions because you don't know when you know what's going to happen although you know ivf you never know what's going to happen at least if you know when you're, you're going to be having it. And actually, this weekend, they did announce that the clinics are reopening. So I definitely yeah. felt a lot more relieved after that. And, and I probably didn't even realise that that was something that was bothering me. So I think sometimes it's just even being able to identify what's causing you anxiety. And, and even though, you, you know, you can't really plan around it, sometimes things like that can help. And as you say, like over the weekend, it's been announced that IVF clinics are opening. One thing that I really stood out from what you've said is when you're going through this process and you've had, is it five rounds? So four rounds until you conceived Ella and then one round this year. When you you do the pregnancy test, and it comes through positive on, let's say, it's at the Thursday night, and you're looking at it, and you've you've got a number, you you know that it's not as dark as it could be. Do you tell anybody else? Do you keep that to yourself? What sort of support do you have in that moment, or through that process? Could you explain that to us? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's difficult for this time. I really, you know, I didn't tell anybody um obviously my husband and and I don't know really I mean I probably would and and then I told my mom later and things like that and again it's that thing about worrying about what other people think because I don't think I really do worry but I just think sometimes if you're talking to people and oh I've had another miscarriage or I I know it sounds awful but sometimes it's just easy and not to say anything and and obviously that's not the best way of coping with things and, and we have told people since like family and friends and things but I feel like in the moment every kind of next round of IVF I've probably told less and less people I'd probably mm-hmm. that's not the best way of dealing with it but it's the way that I have for me this year's theme around maternal mental well health month and week and day is supporting mums in difficult times and it kind of really strikes me that you're saying that through each round you're telling less and less people and you almost feel like it's easier not to tell others that you have miscarried. Do you feel that it would be more supportive if you were able to tell people and they understood what you were going through or or not? I don't know. I mean... That's a tough question. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know, I know. And I guess, and you know, actually, it's not that I didn't tell anyone you know, people like my consultant, like she's an amazing lady. Um, obviously, I've spoken to her. And I think actually, and, and there's counselling and things like that available at the clinic if you want it. But I do think sometimes just knowing, even if you don't have a conversation with people, and often it's maybe strangers that you've met through social media and things like that. And, and there's probably quite a few of those sorts of people. Maybe I, I haven't told them, but I think if you 
see that other people are going through and you know something some people are very open on social media and and share every kind of step of the way and that's their way of dealing with it but I think for me just knowing and and that wasn't there when I first had IBS there were these kind of community groups that you could join and again I mean you can see people having conversations and you can join in with them but I think now actually that's one of the there's lots of bad things about social media but I think that's one of the good things is that that there is this kind of community there where you where you can go for as much or as little support as you like I've, I've met some really incredible people one was you know from chatting to someone at a clinic once that I think she'd had something like 12 rounds of IVF and still hadn't had a successful pregnancy and she's literally about to well they were going to go the surrogate route and they had one small frozen embryo and they tried one expecting anything and and she's just had a baby now um but she, you know she she told her story and and I think sometimes I think I wish I could talk about it more because it, it can help one person but then I'm always just waiting until oh, well I'll just see if this is a positive result do you know what I mean so mm-hmm. sometimes it's quite hard isn't it? my next question was going to be what sort of support do you have during your IVF journey and you've kind of touched upon that so just for our listeners who may be thinking about going down the IVF route what what sort of support have you had for your journey yeah I think there is a lot of support available but you know maybe sometimes you have to go looking for it Um, and I think there's a big difference actually if you're going through NHS treatment versus private there's a lot of talk around that area because everyone in different regions or boroughs have access to different funding. I think inside London is the worst, but like Scotland, North East, that kind of thing, people get three three free rounds. Um, and I think there's lots of research behind behind that reasoning in that it usually takes three times to be successful. Whereas in London there are some boroughs that don't even have any funding at all. For us we got our first round free and then we had to pay after that but I stuck with the same consultant I just went to see her privately and and she's been amazing that was it she was at UCL and then at CRGA but I think definitely in the private sector that you're given you know details of counselling and that sort of thing that um this lady the consultant she's been really helpful um but then yeah there's, there's lots of different groups and I think you know it it's good to talk to your family and things like that but I do feel like if somebody hasn't been through it it can be really difficult for people to understand and, and I mean that in the nicest possible way that obviously people want to be supportive but just the amount of drugs and things that you're taking if you think about it you know in the stimulation phase usually you know we I don't you know we ovulate each month and you get one egg and you're being stimulated with drugs that can sometimes produce up to about 40 or 50 eggs so it's that many times the hormones and I think (laughs) it's difficult for anyone to kind of understand I think particularly between husbands and wives sometimes um that can be a bit intense so I think if you can find people that do understand what you're going through then, then it's good to be able to talk to them I've definitely learned a lot from being your friend um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and just there's there's a lot more to it than what you may think if you're not going through it. So Claire with that in mind do you feel that there is enough openness and exposure for 
or conversation around women that are conceiving naturally and through IVF or surrogacy or do you feel that there definitely seems to be a more open conversation particularly around COVID and what expectant mothers are are going through for those that have naturally conceived? I mean I think it's a difficult one because I think it's you know the lines have been quite blurred when it comes to pregnant women and, and COVID anyway I think at the beginning it wasn't clear then pregnant women got pushed in the vulnerable category which I can imagine was is really difficult um, if you're pregnant probably you know the last thing that you want to hear and not being able to go um, for the, you know, I, I already just mentioned the anxiety and things that are felt in those appointments and not being able to have those appointments or having to have them on the phone and things like that I, I can just imagine you know just for normal pregnancies that could be that must be difficult um but i think you know it is hard to be able to address everything but i suppose people that were going through ivf maybe should have been put in that category as well um but then i suppose it must be difficult because then then where where does it end if you know what i mean but i i do think within that community of people there's lots of things that probably aren't are addressed in the same way, you know, like that pregnancy and maternity and, and things like that are addressed with government and things. You know, what what are the, what are your by rights? That, by that, do you mean so women that have conceived naturally, women through IVF or adoption and or surrogacy are those the type of groups that we're discussing now? Yeah, yeah, and you know, I think just things like it's never really clear in terms of work what your rights are you know in terms of like I don't think employers really know in terms of allowing people to have time off work for particular appointments and things with IVF is a really great area so I think it's great anyway plus these announcements around COVID probably are just making it worse and, and I think lots of people have felt quite frustrated it's been difficult because nobody knows enough about it anyway um, you know who knows if those decisions that were made around pregnant women were the right ones they, I guess mm. they don't have enough information yeah so it's kind of before we went into a global pandemic, it wasn't very clear and it's become less clear yeah. as we've kind of got into it. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for sharing your opinions on that. Kim, similar question to you. Do you feel like there was enough openness around mums that are living with OCD? And what type of support did you receive? So, no, I don't think there's enough openness. When I first really opened up, so when my daughter was three months old, there were people, so there's a woman called Bryony Gordon, she's a journalist, and she was very, very open about her journey. It was actually a podcast that I heard her talk about this kind of OCD and intrusive thoughts about abuse um, that made me realise what was going on with me. So just people being open is just such a lifeline to so many people yes there was an openness I feel as though there's not enough education around it especially within the medical profession because I actually had a psychiatric nurse who came to check on me when I was gone up to A&E because I was at my worst and she had clearly not really heard of it and not really understood it which blows my mind thinking back but the way that she reacted and she started mentioning about social services and all this sort of stuff I just completely clammed up 
And I was just like, she doesn't understand. I just knew it was just like crazy red flags. And I think that this is the part that women struggle with because, you know, I'm talking openly and and, and I'm saying that it's important for people to be more open, but then there's so many gaps within our NHS and medical staff, and this is no criticism um, of them, it's a structural thing, that there is an education around OCD, so women are scared of opening up. So it's really hard because I want women and men to be more open about their intrusive thoughts so they get help, but it is difficult because when you start opening up about those thoughts and person or the doctor doesn't necessarily understand it can set you back really really badly so it's a fine line balance you need to get in front of someone that understands basically so a psychiatrist or a therapist with ERP and OCD experience so now I feel that community is getting bigger I've met some incredible people online a lady who was the first woman that I met in person who had gone through OCD like mine, a lady called Catherine Benfield. So if anyone's listening to this, she's very good with being open about her OCD experience. And she has a brilliant blog called Taming Olivia. Um, Basically, she's identified her OCD as she's given it a name because some therapists kind of encourage you to do that. I didn't do that, but she called hers Olivia and she just writes so beautifully about the whole experience with her son, there's another one, um, a lady called Windsor Flynn, who is very open about her OCD experience as well. And I think that the moment you're speaking with someone who's also gone through it, like you said, Claire, about the IVF experience, people can try and relate, but unless they actually experience it, have experienced it, the same goes for OCD. You just get each other, basically, because you can just go, oh, yeah, I felt that and I felt that. And it helps you feel normal (laughs) so it's really really important um that people i don't feel that everyone should share if they don't feel comfortable with it but the more people share in one way or another whether it's a podcast whether it's writing a blog the better when it comes to all of these experiences because you don't know who's going to read it who's going to go wow that like saved me basically so yeah I feel the community is getting stronger and bigger which is a good thing yeah and I think that you've shared some really important thoughts and views there in terms of being able to connect with someone else and the need to not feel that you're alone or odd or you know inclusion is is such an important feeling but it manifests in such different ways. It's not just, we often talk about inclusion in terms of ethnicity or gender, but it's in so many areas of our lives, isn't it? And I think it's really important that we are open and honest and have meaningful conversations and share experiences so that you don't feel alone because nine out of 10 times, someone else has felt or has experienced something similar to you. And there's a powering kind of feeling that you're not alone. Kim, can I just ask, have you experienced any triggers or has any of your triggers increased, should I say, during the current lockdown? And if so, have you overcome these? Yes, they're definitely, because OCD is very, for me anyway, directly related to stress. So when I'm stressed about anything in my life, be it work or, you know, something happening within family or just a three-year-old screaming at me, it, it can it can then sort of 
become um, an in- intrusive thought even a day later or you know a few hours it, it doesn't really necessarily fit with the particular stressor but it then results in intrusive thoughts for me so yes there have been a few moments I overcome them through the techniques that I've learned throughout exposure therapy basically which is often for me again this is my subjective experience but I do something called flooding which is basically if a horrible thought pops into my head I tend to try and outdo it (laughs) and I basically go oh what about this and what about this you know it's kind of exposing myself to worse things rather than shying away from the thought I just try and do one up and then the OCD kind of goes, oh, well, she's not bothered about this, so I'll back off. It's weird, it's, but it works for me. It basically means that the thoughts tend to just subside pretty quick because I've just proved to my own brain that I'm just not afraid of them. I kind of just sit with the fact that everything is possible. As awful as it sounds, I just come to terms with the fact that all of the thoughts possible, but therefore in some weird sort of paradox, they then ease off and they, and they don't bother me. Both of you are mums to toddlers in lockdown, something we've never experienced before. Did you feel prepared for this? And what, this is probably a tricky question, what do you think that you're doing well right now? And what do you think not so well? It all happened so quick, didn't it? It was like one one day it was normal and the next day it wasn't. Um, I think the first few weeks definitely had a bit of a haze where it felt like, I was almost on a bit of an adrenaline rush in, mm-hmm. in that I, I knew that I had to try and make things work. So therefore, I had this sort of jolt of energy. Um, there have been some, like I said, very special moments being the three of us having dinner together, which we never do because we're, we're working and she has dinner at nursery. So I feel like those things we're doing well, my husband and I together. Things not so well. I think I'm not being very good at being... And again, this has gotten better over the weeks, but being in the moment with her, I've always got something else on my mind. Um, oh, I feel like you've been in the moment with her today with the videos. Yeah, well, but that's it. That's the problem though, isn't it? It's like, well, am I in the moment with her if I'm putting her on my Instagram stories? Yeah, um, yeah. So it's it's yeah. kind of allowing myself to just lose myself in playing and just, I think that's hard whether it, there's a lockdown going on or not. Mm. And it's exhausting, like, interacting with a three-year-old. Like, <laughs> you know, you do it for about five minutes. I read this really brilliant thing a few months ago on Instagram where it said, oh, I hate it when I've been playing with my child for six hours and it's only been ten minutes. Oh, Claire! It's like, yep. Claire will message me, like, me and Claire talk almost every day, and then she'll message me, like, Claire wakes up hours before I do on any day, whether we're in lockdown or not. So... I may wake up at like, I might be like, oh, I'm awake, it's 6am. She's like, yeah, I've done two hours already. Claire, you're always like, I've had an intense morning. It's 9.20. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know, this morning I was like, my husband, we kind of tag team it in terms of who gets a bit of a lie-in, but she always seems to sleep in when it's his turn and yeah. get up at 6 when it's my turn. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Claire, the, the same question to you. Do you feel that you were as prepared as you can be for a global pandemic and what what do you think you're doing well at and maybe not so well yeah I think the same for me I mean I wasn't prepared I don't think I'm prepared just for life in general with a toddler never mind when things completely change I I mean it it affected me at the very beginning obviously when I I was in the middle of an IVF cycle as well so that wasn't great 
timing um, and I think again I was just trying to do everything like I didn't have as much childcare so trying to do work in the evenings but also then just trying to always try to email and, and things like that and I think I did just have to make myself stop and have set time for working and, and I try and like only work in the evenings like a few evenings a week and definitely have time when I'm switched off. And I think actually, although I, I probably felt like I wasn't doing as much, I, I probably am, but I'm probably just more focused on both things. So like, like focused on Ella when I'm with her and then focused on work when I'm trying to work. And I think things like, I never used to really let, I, I think it's probably her age as well. She's just coming up to 21 months. So it, it's a really lovely age. She's starting to talk a lot more and we have conversations but she's you know she's also probably hitting a terrible tooth a bit early so similar to you Kim she's screaming a lot and I just don't really know how to deal with that anyway um, particularly when we can't go out of the house and things like that so I have let her watch TV and things quite a lot of probably more than I'd like to admit to I know all the characters from Peppa Pig very well now but actually I feel like it's not it's not it's not as bad for them as you think I, I feel like Ella's actually started counting and singing a bit more actually which is repeating a lot of what she is on there but I feel like yeah just understanding you know you're not you're not going to be able to do everything right but as long as they feel like you're there for them and you, and you love them and actually I think it's it's a good time for them, isn't it? Because as you say, you're at home more with them, and so they get a lot more love and attention. So I think that's that's the main thing, really. Eve, with you, do you feel that the lockdown has allowed you to just enjoy being a mum and being in? The, I don't want to use the cliche of being in the moment, but in, as you said, Claire, you're at home with them a lot more than you ever normally would be. So are you just like, do you know what? maybe today we aren't going to do the activities that I think I should be doing, but you're emotionally bonding? Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I think there's been a lot of positive and things like that. Sometimes the, the hard times do feel more difficult, but I feel like, yeah, I think at the beginning I was trying to be a lot more structured and things, but now I'm kind of just, if lunch isn't at a certain time or the nap isn't at a certain time, then yeah, I just I just go with it really. I think it's about surrendering to it a little bit. I've surrendered to moments where I've tried to resist and and create structure. Um, I'm much more relaxed. My husband is quite structured and he doesn't have as much kind of, I don't know how to describe it, but kind of like leniency with certain things. Basically, I let her get away with everything and he doesn't. Um, But I've found in him he's realizing the the battles to fight for and the battles not to and I think that we've both gotten to know her much better and bear in mind like she's changing all the time so you know even in the last six weeks her language has developed and the way that she is 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 changing yeah it is bonding and it's great and it's nice to just surrender yourself to it and know that in this hour you're not going to get any work done you're going to play today we were doing we, we made like a show of dinosaurs so it was like introducing the show and then one of us was the dinosaur and then we had to stomp around the room and I was just like fine do that <laughs> that's my role for the day <laughs> Claire in terms of IVF we've mentioned that the clinics have opened this weekend what's happening for you right now and how are you feeling about and I mean this is a very open question but how are you feeling about the next six months 
Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know, <laughs> there's a lot, there's still a lot of uncertainty, isn't there? And although the clinics have, have opened, and I, I probably do feel like I want to start doing IVF again as soon as possible, I think there's a bit, there's a thing in the back of my head that feels like that we still don't know what's going to happen and is it a safe time to be doing it? Um, what happens if lockdown kind of, if the restrictions are lifted and, and then it all starts back up again. I, I think there's, there's a lot of uncertainty where if I had known this was going to happen when I was doing the cycle before, I probably wouldn't have chosen to do it. So it's quite difficult, really. I'm sure we'll find out in the next couple of weeks. And they always, you know, talk to us in terms of we're getting older and, and that sort of thing. So it, it's better to kind of get on with things as much as possible as soon as you can. But I think this is, a, you know, complete, something that nobody could have ever predicted. So, yeah, I think it would be quite difficult to, to make a decision as to what to do. Has that changed for you in the last 24 hours of Ello and Kapla becoming ill and you guys having a test? Definitely, I think so. I mean, I don't think I probably would have answered that question in the same way before they were ill, actually. But, you know, I probably thought I'll just get straight on with another cycle. But I think, yeah, I'll probably wait and see what happens. And that's probably one thing that's playing on the back of my mind as well. So when Kapla is working and he was self-isolating, that was to kind of create that barrier between you and Ella. If he goes back to, if COVID continues and he continues working on the front line and then you have IVF, have the clinic advised that you live in different households? Like, have they had that conversation with you about Yeah, I mean, like- we, haven't, yeah we, we haven't spoken to them about that. Um, he, I mean, he was hoping that, you know, he'd been, he'd been working in a COVID centre, but all of his normal clinics have to start up at some point. They thought it would be quite but even then, you know, it's up and down and, and then making one decision and then actually saying that they can't start some of these clinics without being able to test really regularly, like every day or, or something like that. So there's still a lot of unknown. Um, so I don't know, really. But yeah. 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 And I'm sure that adds to the situation. Yeah. Um, similar question to you. It's truly a difficult time for all mums out there right now and you've mentioned that you've been really good at identifying your triggers and how you overcome those what do you think's happening for you next what's the biggest challenge and what does the next six months look like for you in terms of as, as well aside from being a mum and living with OCD we've had conversations about you trying to keep at the forefront is keeping the business afloat and making sure all of that's okay. So how are you feeling about the immediate future? Yeah, I mean, that that's it, exactly. So both my husband and I rely on this company surviving this, um, and it's just been about navigating that, and we have furloughed some staff, and, you know, there have not been easy conversations throughout, but things are hopefully going to, well, hopefully we're going to make it on the other side, basically. We've had some interesting projects come in some interesting pictures we're waiting on a few things so yeah i'm actually feeling quite positive really and i've got bloom i've got bloom so let me saying because i've just felt like yeah do you guys either of you have any tips that have helped you through the tough times or that you're using right now yeah, it's funny because i i would normally say you know find a bit of time to just 
meditate and write stuff down and da da da. But I'm kind of not. I'm grasping those moments. I might write a few lines before I just pass out in bed. But I think just not resisting, like I said before, surrendering to it a bit. Like this is not a normal situation. You're going to put loads of pressure on yourself to try and cope, but actually you're allowed to just burst into tears sometimes and just it's therapeutic to go with it. yeah it's, it's weird though i yeah. think it, i haven't cried how i normally would have expected myself to but i feel like it's coming I feel like i'm gonna burst into tears this week at some point i and i think if it does just embrace it and let it out yeah. like honestly that about two weeks ago i was just crying over nonsense and my daughter was just sitting next to me like shaking her head in disbelief that i was crying you are crying a lot about this finger and it, it wasn't the the fingers signified a lot of stuff that I just wasn't in control of. Yeah. You just got to, got to let it go. We came back from the shops today and I was like, you know all of that crime? I don't even regret it. I don't. No, and you shouldn't. No. Claire, and the same question to you. Yeah, I mean, I'd say the same, you know, about just cutting yourself some slack. Um, and, you know, I actually feel like I have one good day and then one not so good day where we'll be, you know. One day I'll be able to get up and do my makeup and, and the other days I'm just in my pyjamas all day or something like that. But I also, you know, and I think it's difficult to find the time, but I feel like the daily exercise does really help, whether that's just going for a walk or um, I've managed to do a couple of runs. And I think that days where it was raining, I, I did struggle where we, where we couldn't even leave the house. But I think, and, you know, similar thing to what you guys were saying about feeling sad and and um and crying can be quite therapeutic we um we, we worked on this film project recently um and we interviewed this really incredible kind of homeless guy um and, and one of the questions he was asked was when was the last time you felt sad uh, and i always think about his answer because he said or oh, probably you know last week i cried and he said but i don't see sadness as a bad thing i, I see it as, as a release and, and it's therapeutic and you know if we didn't have the sadness and we don't have the good moments and, and I think particularly in a time like this I think because we're all so wired that we have to be positive all of the time I, I think actually just understanding that everyone's going to be feeling sad at some point but but that's good, that's good too um, I think getting into that mindset can really help mm-hmm. we're kind of not trained but we're fed this constant media of being positive but it's okay to feel sad or apprehensive or nervous or anxious like those are all natural feelings and emotions to have and when they come it's kind of like you're so used to feeling like you have to knock those aside rather than letting them happen and then going through the other side but yeah it's it's difficult. It is difficult. But as I said, I just, I've just learned to, if I need to cry, I need to cry. If I need to be in my pajamas all day, I just won't have the camera on for the Zoom calls. You know? <laughs> it's, you've got to, and that's the thing. I think that we have to all allow ourselves that every day is going to be different and it, you don't have to feel optimistic and all, all of the time, you know, it's like sometimes you're not going to want to have a call. Sometimes you're going to want to phone someone or see their face and then 10 minutes later you won't want to do it. Like that, we're not going through something that we've ever trained for or expected. So we have to allow our emotions to run through and that's not a bad thing at all. 
If there were others listening in similar circumstances or situations to you both, what support or resources would you suggest? So there's some fantastic websites, one of which um, I would direct people towards called Made of Million. It used to be called intrusivethoughts.org, but I think they've merged them together. So Made of Millions um, is about mental health illnesses and they just have the absolute best descriptions, best understanding of a, a huge variety of mental illnesses. And yeah, I would definitely point people towards there when it comes to understanding. And then maternal OCD. So there's two ladies, um, Diana and Maria, who are just incredible. They really, really helped me when I was first diagnosed. They helped me get my therapist um they're not always there it's a charity and they donate they, they sort of freely give their time so they can't always do a lot of peer support but mm-hmm. they can definitely point women again and men in the right direction to getting help so made of millions and maternal ocd and ocd action which is a fantastic charity um, and incredible resources and events ocd action thank you kim and claire uh, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the things that I've already said, I think if it's people that are going through IVF, the clinics tend to have counselling services and you know information and things like that. But then also, as I've said as well, there's a really big online community and I can actually share maybe some of the accounts that I'm published. I think that'd be really helpful, yeah. What advice would you give right now to a mum who is feeling like they're struggling get help and and yeah just seek help reach out to people don't struggle on your own yeah definitely i mean i'd i'd say the same it's so it's very difficult you know my experience as a, as a first time mom i don't know maybe maybe it would get easier but i'm sure there's you know there's, as you can see just from this conversation between two of us there's so many different issues that, that people are facing and, and it's been amazing to hear your side of the story Kim I can't imagine what you've been going through but I think you know sometimes the whole comparison thing between moms and I think it's hard to find what's good for you and what's right for you at the very beginning when you're dealing with everything that's going on and um, so I think definitely if if you can find good support but also a network of people or moms that are have got a similar kind of parenting style to you I think that was really helpful for me as well find your tribe yeah that's it (laughs) I'd like to just thank you both for being so open and honest and sharing your experiences and advice and resources I think that it's important that we continue to have these conversations and acknowledge maternal mental health month because there are so many of us mums that are struggling in many different ways and they present themselves in different manners but we need to a understand that we're not alone and b that there's help and support out there so i'd like to thank you both for spending your sunday evening speaking to me in the audience 